Hey, Jim, is that a new background you have behind you? No, it's the same one I've always had. <laughs> but I just want to show you these. I completely forgot I had these. And then uh, my son picked them up off the shelf the other day. Um, I was at a, at a Lego convention, of all things, a couple years ago before the dark times, before COVID. And uh, some some uh, some seller, I don't know who, who it was, because I, I don't want to out him because it's illegal. Um, but they, they made these uh, Lego minifigures that are actually... From the original series, it's uh, it's Bele and uh, Lokai uh, oh, from uh, I think uh, what's the episode? Uh, Let that be your last battlefield, I think. My favorite and, episode. It's the yeah. first one my dad ever showed me. And, and like he, this this company did like a handful of different Star Trek minifigures, and I was like, these are so awesome. And like I can't find them anywhere now. Like I, I I've looked on eBay and I, I can't find this this that guy anymore. But they're they're actual Lego minifigures. But he custom printed the torsos and the faces and stuff. And I was like, so I don't know if I can if it get a really good shot of them, but there's Lokai and Bele. And uh, anyway, I have those on my shelf. So the, the background's the same as ever. But um, that was um, the first episode. I must have been four or five years old that mm -hmm. I watched with my dad. He and he explained to me, he says, This is why racism is stupid. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, watch it. And I'm like, the whole time I couldn't figure it out until, of course, act three. I'm not gonna ruin it for anybody. Mm -hmm that but everyone probably saw that episode i hope yeah and is that a new background for you or is that the same one you've always had so this is the brig so <laughs> this is the brig on a voyager class uh, an intrepid class starship it is so, yeah i think i'm pretty sure it's the brig or it's the office of oh it's the office, office. okay yeah it, it looks like it looks a little bit like odo's office i was like that, is that why would you give a, a prisoner that much information on the walls <laughs> well, if, if i stand like this wait hold on no yeah if i stand like this oh you're in the brig okay exactly. you're in the brig looking out into the office okay exactly. i got it <laughs> maybe i should film the whole thing like this today there you go i get it a little bit more realistic i get it okay and i'm wearing yeah. my someone's yeah. baton shirt of course oh very nice one of my favorite very nice of all time and for those of you who are tuning in we are not here talking about Catan or Legos even though <laughs> if you are invested in Legos you'll probably make more money than the stock market um, <laughs> yes <Yeah>, sure <laughs> the purpose of this podcast is to talk about Star Trek adventures and this includes announcing latest releases highlighting professionals and fans associated with the game explaining game rules and mechanics which is super helpful for new game masters and explaining how to be a better gm or a better player i'm michael dismuke i'm a freelance writer for star trek adventures and i'm a contributor to continuing mission which is the number one fan site uh for star trek adventures game this year or excuse me by the time this comes out it'll be last year so in 2021 we hit almost half a million views with 80,000 unique visitors so we pump we, we do it as an act of love and we just pump up the game it's we don't like our favorite games to end. And then today we have with us uh, Jim Johnson, project writer, gamer, and Star Trek Adventures project manager, the person who puts the energy and brings all this talent together to make it happen. How you doing, Jim? Doing all right, Michael. Thank you so much. Okay, good. So we are into chapter six of the Game Master's Guide, which was released um, in fourth quarter 2021. And this one's packed with so much. We only can give an overview. There's so much gold in here. And it's called main engineering. Why is it, why is it called main engineering, Jim? 
Uh, well, you know, the conceit is that this is, this chapter is all about new mechanics. It's all the it's all the crunch. It's all the stuff that you know some some fans have been looking for. It's uh, it's taking up it's taking the existing rule set and just you know how how how's it work? How's that? How's everything come together? And uh, in main engineering just seemed to fit uh, as as a concept. And, and really, I mean, you've it was basically about four years of chatter and questions and ideas that formed this chapter, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, um, Star Trek was one of the first 2D20 systems that came out, and um, you know, four years ago, like there was Conan, there was Infinity, and then there was Star Trek. And uh, in the four years, we've released even more versions of 2D20. And uh, in the four years that the game's been on the market, right? You know, people have been playing it. People have been asking questions. And uh, Nathan Dowdell, the the system designer, he is he is really generous with his time. Like I I, I kind of shadow him on. A bunch of different message boards and uh, somebody will ask a question about the game system right and he'll go on for paragraphs explaining his thought process and his concepts of, of like how that rule should be working in practice and uh, and finally we had an opportunity to do a book and i went to nathan and i said okay all that stuff you've been posting on the internet about all these rules and how they should work and everything let's codify it and put it into a book that you couldn't get into the core book because we didn't have enough time to do it um, so, the, so that's what this is for the most part, especially this chapter. Is, so is take, I, go ahead. No, no, I said, I said, so what I want to call this, this yeah. is the FAQ. So if you go through the core rule book and you pop up some questions, I'm betting they're answered here in this FAQ mm. <laughs> with plus some. That's what I thought of when I, when I looked over it. I'm in there. Okay. So, so let's talk about the general overall topics. And maybe what we'll do is take, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go piece by piece. So why don't you talk to us about the highlights of the tasks section, Jim? Um, yeah, so uh, tasks are, are really the the meat and potatoes of the game, right? Like that's what your characters are doing. You you get into a story, you're trying to solve things. What are you doing? You, you get a task, you get a task, you get a task. You, you get discrete specific things to attempt with your, uh, with your dice rolling um, that can't be accomplished just by the game master narrating it or, or dropping you a piece of information, right? You're trying to accomplish something. You're trying to, uh, uh, you know, wheedle some information out of the friendly bartender, or you're trying to uh, depolarize the uh, the isolinear chips, or you're trying to do, you're trying to do something that has a real honest risk of failure, right? And uh, um, that's that's what a task is all about. And so there, we just provided a few a few pages of information about what's it what's a task, what isn't a task, what's what's important, how does your threat and momentum and determination impact that task? So we just try to bring more clarity to uh, to what a task is and what you can do with it. Awesome. All right, and then we get go even further in chapter six point two about extended tasks. And the way I like to view these are a chain of events that must happen in order for success. So as whereas you have one single task, extended tasks come in a variety of different ways. Um, it's explained here, and I, what I like there's a box on page one sixty two that talks about social extended tasks mm -hmm. too, meaning that one big thing that happens in Star Trek a lot, and I know in my game it happens, is diplomatic negotiations. Mm -hmm. And this, and if anyone you know watches politics, there's no treaty that's signed in one, one hour. Research has to be done, deal, side deals have to be struck, agreements have to be made. And that I really appreciated the social extended tax box task box here so that when people are going into social conflict, there's suspense and maybe days of suspense in order mm -hmm. to make something happen. So I thought that was really cool that you included that um, in here. Yeah. Yeah. Any, uh, what about momentum? Why, why did we have to expound on momentum? 
Well, I think momentum is is one of the one of the key mechanics of the game, and it gives players an opportunity to manipulate the scenes and what's happening in the scene. Whether you're spending momentum to uh, create advantages or traits or uh, or uh, gathering more information, like there's there's ways that a player can can manipulate the 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 meta game to some extent. And uh, you know, other games you can't really. You're really just kind of relying on GM fiat and uh, and and your own ability to negotiate <laughs> with a game master to make something happen. And and this gives you a, a gives players kind of a concrete way of spending points to do something cool in the moment of that scene or that encounter or whatever. And so we we provide more guidance in this uh, subchapter about what what why does momentum matter and how do you use it and and be especially for players be willing to spend it like i know a lot of newer players to the game are really um risk adverse and want to hold on to it as long, as long as they can um not realizing that you can gain momentum a lot over the course of an episode and it's okay to spend it like the, the whole game is kind of in, in, um encouraging you to spend it regularly to gather information and whatnot so that you can proceed along um it's not really that difficult to gain more momentum and, and in fact, you have a cap of six for your group. Um, so, you know, gain it, but then spend it, do stuff with it, do be, be dramatic, be interesting, be cool, do, do interesting things. And so we're just trying to provide a lot of guidance on like how to use it as written and also provide a few, uh, a few new um, ways to, to use momentum, basically. Yeah. My bumper sticker, make things happen with momentum. So don't yeah. you know, like, what do I do? Use momentum and, and create the story yourself. The yep. opposite of momentum is, of course, threat. Which yep. So we expound on threat. I have to say my favorite piece of this chapter was a new homebrew rule that you could incorporate into your game on page 170. And that's if your players are dithering, meaning they're <laughs> forever to come up with a decision yeah. you could actually uh stir them into action by saying hey you know what if you take more than five minutes to make this decision i'm going to add one point to threat or two points to threat and i was like oh that's that's awesome that's yeah. I, I don't have that happen too much on my online game but i've been around mm -hmm. the table when people are in analysis paralysis yep. Yep. and so I, I thought this was a beautiful rule um in addition there's some additional things brought out about uh causality proportionate resistance and using it, um, adding threat to the narrative. So, so creating tension through accumulation of that. I mean, you don't have to spend it a lot of times. My, my players freak out because I'll hold on to it. I held on to 41 once, 41 threat, because I need them to know that the subspace life form was going to kill them if it catches them. And I had enough threat to back it up. So in game turns, that made them look at their sensors and their navigation and be like, we cannot beat this thing. We have to escape. We have to retreat. And, and I thought that that was cool that that was written into this section about really how to use threat to push the tension in the game. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I don't remember if we, I'm sure it's in here somewhere, but it's also in the core book, uh, whichever core book you're using. It, it's just to try to give a little guidance to game masters about what exactly threat is and why you should be using it. And I know that there's been a couple of ongoing conversations on a couple of the different uh, Star Trek Adventures, you know, forums and discussion sites about like old school game masters coming in and saying, well, why would I use threat when I can just make it up and just do whatever I want anyway, right? And just say, well, this is how I've been game mastering my entire life. I just say something's gonna happen and it happens. And it's like, well, yeah, you can do that, but but using threat kind of puts structure around it and, and kind of gets away from that um, GM is God concept of like, 
you know, the players are fighting against the game master. Like you don't want to have that adversarial relationship. And so having momentum for the players and threat for the game master kind of keeps them on a certain level of parity um, and, and trust, right? Like you can trust your game master. Like, it, you know, if something's going to crazy habit is going to happen in the game, it's because they're spending threat. It's, they're just not making it up off the top of their head. Well, you it know? prevents the accusation like we talked last episode about railroading too. Yeah. If you use your yeah. threat right, you never have to railroad because you're right. saving your threat to create being push the encounters and the yeah. scenes that you want to happen. And right. the players can't really argue with it because you had the threat to do it. And mm-hmm. even though we're not going to go into detail, it breaks down paragraph by paragraph the different ways you can use threat to push your story mm-hmm. along. So a very valuable chapter um, that you can cut and paste the players who might be in tears as you push <laughs> push push your story along. Okay, then we go on to talking about attributes and disciplines in chapter 6.5. What are your highlights about that chapter? A uh, big highlight here really is just we're, we're taking the explanations of attributes and disciplines. Uh, those are, I mean, those are the core concepts of the core components of characters, right? Every character has six attributes and six disciplines. Every starship has six systems and six departments. They're all related. And um, the, the great thing that Nathan built into, or one of the great things that Nathan built into this system is that it's not like, um, it, there's not one combination for every possible task, right? You can, you can take these six attributes and these six disciplines and combine them in different interesting ways uh, so that, you know, one character might approach a problem using like, you know, reason and command, but another one might approach the exact same problem using daring and engineering or something right so like it, it's all contextual it's all character focused it, it, it just I, I love the fact that it's just it's just so uh i don't want to say modular but it's so flexible uh like if you're if you created an interesting cool character and you're like no i would probably be using daring in this case the game master's like okay do it use daring you know play to your strength and, and and make it you know fit the fit the narrative and so we just try to provide more guidance in this chapter about what the attributes and disciplines are and mean and how they're defined because they don't map nicely to other attributes and disciplines in other game systems right so like you can't necessarily take the the traditional six uh attributes from like dungeons and dragons and map them perfectly to star trek because it's just two very different milieus genres like whatever you want to call it um so we're just trying to provide more more guidance and uh, insight into what we mean by these uh these components yeah, well, Star Trek is a very cerebral game, and so yeah. the, I love that these these disciplines and attributes reflect that that um, that mentality of the game. And then again, values and determination. You know, anybody who's played RPG with me knows I love values. I think that is the contextual material from mm-hmm. whence. Uh, game masters can now draw plot hooks <laughs> because these values are the drivers that your players have selected during session zero when they form their characters. And so I really appreciate this chapter um, talks about how to use those values in order to, to, to pull the right strings at the right time. Um, mm-hmm. And then how the players can spin determination in order to not only invoke values in a positive way, but one of my favorite things is when my, I, I really do train my players, use them in a negative way. Show us your weaknesses and your dark side, because that's going to drive the story way more than values in a positive way. So I really like this chapter um, that expounded on that. It gives a lot of examples on how to use it in different circumstances. There's actually examples. So for me as a visual learner, I loved having those examples there. Mm-hmm. What about traits? 
Uh, so moving on to the next subchapter is traits. Traits are uh, just a, a neat little mechanic that is built into the system where you uh, you just, you know, it could be a scene trait, it could be an environmental trait, a character trait. There's just like, it's just a thing that is either true or not true, right, about a thing. And uh, it can have an impact on the on the story because it could, you know, it, an environmental trait could be it's raining. Right. And so like everything you do in that scene has to be covered by the fact that it's raining. So if you're trying to run and chase a Klingon uh, diplomat, then, you know, it's raining. So that how does that color your description or your tasks or does it you know provide a, a, a bonus or a negative or something? So it's just uh, different. It, it's like a it's a it's an easy mechanic. It's a really lightweight mechanic that you can use to color things and, and make them more interesting. Like maybe your ship is the flagship of the fleet. Right, that's a that's a trait that you can plug onto it, and that might have a a, a role playing element. Like it may not have a mechanical effect, but it's going to be important to the story because not only are you on the ship, but you're on the flagship, and that that matters to certain people, and it might matter to the story or to whoever you are, you know, facing off against across the the view screen. You know, uh, so uh, and traits are things that both game masters and players can create by spending threat or momentum, and this is a this is just a it's just a great way for play like clever players especially clever players to manipulate the game to their advantage or right. you know even if they if they really want to they can they can do it to their detriment right like i was fortunate that i had a really good mature group of players in my glass game who would often remind me spend threat to make an advantage or a disadvantage you know because I, I would say something in the in the course of the narrative and they'd say that should be a trait and I'd be like, you're absolutely right. I'll spend two threat and make that trade and plug yeah. it right in. And it made it harder for them, but it just added to the texture of the of the scene, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and so that, I mean, that's just what traits are. And it's such an easy mechanic to use. And I, I don't see a lot of people talking about traits enough online. So I would hope they read this chapter and get some, get some ideas and, and maybe play with that a little bit. I'm going to give a shout out, I think, uh, to one of my players. And either, it was either Michael Freeman or Josh Allen. They both do it to me and they do similar with that, with the traits, mm. but they're like, set the scene. It sets the scene mm. every, and yeah. one big rule that many people forget is every time you switch scenes as a game masters without, without even spending threat, you can put new traits in. And so yep. read the book to get that detail about how to work that in. I think that's, that was game changing for me, for sure. Sure. Cool. Then we go into defining a little bit about conflict in chapter 6.8. And I thought this was such a good chapter because, you know, for those of us who played different RPGs before being introduced to Star Trek Adventures, conflict oftentimes meant physical violence. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case in Star Trek. I think about one of the conflicts that our players had once is that uh, they were in a relationship and the ensign ended up commanding the starship. The doctor, who was not in command of the starship, uh, who she was in a relationship with countermanded her order because he didn't feel she had enough experience. And it ended up, that was a conflict, that disagreement there. And it was quiet. Mm. They kept their professional demeanor, but they broke up after. And that conflict has carried into three subsequent games because they're kind of side-eyeing each other and not being, and I'm like, wow, this is actually more interesting than the photon torpedo battle. Yeah. Uh, and so this chapter talks about that that conflict is in every story and it takes many forms. Have you found that true too? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I love that Nathan delineated between like personal combat and starship combat and social con I mean, not, not com combat, but conflict, right? Yeah. Using, using conflict instead of combat because like conflict is drama, right? And drama is story. And uh, you can have two people in a room arguing and that conflict is as compelling 
as the pew pew going on in space overhead, right? I mean, in fact, maybe even more so because, uh, you know, two ships battling out is, is kind of, there's a bit of a distance there for the most part, unless you're really invested in the ship. But you got two characters that you know and care about going at it, you know, verbally. It's like, oh, what's going to happen? Oh, you know, what's, what's happening here? Like, you know, I think about Duet from DS9. You got, uh, you know, the guy playing uh, Goldar Heel and uh, Kira. And like they're both so invested and it's so important to them what's happening it's like well i could watch this all day it could it could be a they could be in a cardboard box having this argument it would still be compelling because the setting doesn't matter it's just the characters doing great stuff and that's what conflict is all about and i think that's what this chapter really tried to get at is that um great star trek stories aren't just about combat it's not just about you know battling each other out and duking it out to the bitter end it's it's like how do you play with conflict in all of its different flavors to uh to bring out a really cool star trek story well what's funny is you know you hit the moment well, before we move on you know you hit the gold spot in your game when you're having like two characters who are having an argument and they're mad that they have to get into a phaser battle with klingons because they need to resolve this argument right now so that's you know the gun battle they're like ah can we just get these klingons out of the way so that we can yeah. that's when you know you mastered conflict in your game mm-hmm. at that level all right, and so um, let's get to the last chapter, which in my opinion, I thought was the most controversial for over the last four years, Jim, in my experience with the game. And this was about the scientific method. What does this clarify, this chapter? Why should we look forward to it? Yeah, I think uh, one, of the, one of the common questions over the, over the years is, is like, what is the scientific method? And it was like, what, what do we do with this? We don't really get it. Is it an extended task? Is it a task? Is it something else? Like, what, what is it? And uh, so we just tried to think about that a little bit and try to provide more insight into like, what exactly is the scientific method and how would you use it? And I think we, we dropped in a couple of examples here to say like, you know, at its heart, you know, Star Trek is a science fiction show and science, theoretically, depending on what era you're playing is, science is what Starfleet is all about. The Federation wants to want Starfleet out there exploring the great unknown and, and, and discovering new things. And uh, everybody, I mean, for the most part, every Starfleet officer has some sort of grounding in science and would understand the scientific principles of like, you're faced with a problem. There is a, like the scientific method is a structured process to start solving that problem. And if you fail, that's fine, because now you've got more data and then you start over again and you, you know, continue it on. So we just tr- tried to provide more guidance in here about the scientific method, just to see if, um, it would resonate, right? Like we're just trying, we're not telling people how to do it right or how to do it wrong. We're just trying to give you more information about how to play with it. And uh, hopefully hopefully the clarifications help, but you know, we'll find out. Well, no, you'll be happy to know that after this chapter came out, uh-huh. I, for the first time in my game, introduced the scientific method and they're loving it. Okay. They're loving it. And, and one of the key notes I'll give to people is, I've chosen to use it over a length of time. So there's a mystery. We're playing, of course, the Shackleton campaign. Mm -hmm. And there's a mystery that I will let them figure out once they do, yes, literally months of research, Mm -hmm. collecting data through each mission, and then there'll be a resolve. So we treat it differently. So to me, it it was groundbreaking, this article, and I don't have to... uh, uh, question anymore about it after four years so it did, it, it did its <laughs> yeah, job and actually actually michael you, you hit on a great point and that's uh, something that i've really tried to do in my games like like before this game before star trek adventures came out uh, my group and i would use a lot of homebrew star trek games because none of the ones that came out really quite hit the sweet spot of the way we wanted to do star trek and i always wished i had some sort of mechanic where like if i present the players with a like a really interesting conundrum or mystery that I wanted to stretch out over the course of a season, I didn't really have a good mechanical way of like, of like telling them, okay, you accomplished this part of it in this episode. 
but you won't be able to get to it again until a couple episodes later. I didn't really have a good structure for that. So it was really kind of squishy and kind of like arbitrary that I was just like, kind of like I would drop breadcrumbs along the way and make the best of it. But having the scientific method and also extended tasks gives game masters the, the tools to where if you want your player characters to have a season spanning mystery, make it an extended task and you can just dribble it along Yep. gradually and they can and they can actually mark off their progress right they can mark the progress box or boxes or whatever and the scientific method can help them you know get to certain gateways of completion and work their way through it so they can see they're making progress or they'll fail and then start over again or you know whatever right but that and that's the point that you hit, hit the nail on the head there is they feel like they're doing the work they feel like they're on a starship working week after week as starfleet officers are they're scientists they're engineers and they're not getting instant solutions like that they're putting their work in and and understanding what i do is i build out so that each scientific method completed or each extended cat task breakthrough completed gives them some knowledge like you said some data that is mm-hmm. going to help them by the time they they're going to learn something even through failure yeah. and and that's how i use it Cool. All right. Finally, why don't you talk to us about chapter, the last chapter section, 6.1, creating and using NPCs. Yeah. So this is, this is just a little bit, this is, this, this sub chapter is just a little bit more advice and uh, insights on uh, creating interesting and effective non-player characters, right? So like your player characters are the, are the stars of the show, uh, of your, of your Star Trek show. And the non-player characters are all the, all the, um, adversaries or supporting characters or like all the things that they all the people they encounter along the way and there's a there's a certain amount of art and strategy into how to create a interesting non-player character uh we even we even included some random tables like if you need some quick uh goals or tactics for your npc you just you know roll d20 and uh, pick something off the list if you want or just grab one that you like I, i know a lot of game masters really like random tables especially if they need to build something quick. Um, I wish we had had the space to drop in a couple pages of uh, um, random names. Cause like, I'm horrible with names. Like in the moment I can't, I just cannot create names for the life of me. Um, so um, yeah, we just try, try to provide more advice here on um, how to, uh, how to make interesting player characters. And uh, jump in was, there. Yeah, one of my favorite pieces was the new NPC special rules. I have to highlight one of my favorite new special rules was interphasic on page 203. <laughs> constantly shifting through different dimensions or their molecules scatter and reassemble at will. I was like, oh, I mean, again, there's other ones that are really good in here too, but that one was like, mm-hmm. oh man, just knowing that I can create an NPC and there's a little description of how it works. Yeah. I thought that was super cool. I think that was inspired by Enterprise, if I'm right. <laughs> a lot of interphasic people. Yeah in that one. Uh, and again, a, a couple other things that were not in the original core rule book were swimming and drowning, vertical movement and falling. So that was really cool um, to see the advice on that. Anything else you want to highlight before we wrap up our highlight chapter about chapter six? Um, no, just, you know, generally this this whole chapter about about the, the main engineering, there's just a ton of stuff in here, a ton of nuggets of gold. And uh, don't feel like you need to read it from beginning to end. I'd say if there's like one mechanical component of the game that you're a little a little uncertain about, read that subchapter. You know, read the chapter on momentum, or read the chapter on threat, or read the chapter on NPCs. Like, like do it in bite-sized chunks as opposed to trying to absorb everything. Because like even after four years, I'll be honest, I don't remember all the rules in the game either. Because like I'll flip through the core book from time to time and be like, that rules in there. I didn't know that. I forgot all about that rule. <laughs> so you know, just uh, you know, take it a little bit at a time. 
add it to your game as appropriate and uh, and continue to have fun. Totally true. Totally true. So two last shout outs before I walk out and hand the mic to you. One is the art on page 204 and two, 205 with species 8472 kicking some Borg booty. I love that art, by the way. The art in this book is phenomenal. I thought that one was beautiful. And then as usual, as tradition dictates now, we're going to shout out a game shop. So Benjamin Sloan, a Star Trek fan from our Facebook page, um, he he goes to Fox Comics and Games in Marion, Illinois. He says they've been open for 15 years. So that's awesome. We love these longstanding brick and mortars. He shouts out the excellent staff. So Benjamin, make sure to push this video to them and let you know that you're loving them. And he's been running D&D there for three years and a certain Star Trek game for the last year. So Star Trek Adventures, of course. Um, and, and he says that there's really good game masters coming out of that store. So please breed more breed more game masters out of uh, Fox Comics and Games in Marion, Illinois. All right, Jim, pass the mic to you. Uh, so I'll send out a thank you to, uh, to Games Quest in the United Kingdom and to uh, Flat River Group Impressions and Fun Again Games all here in America. Uh, they are, are the primary Modiphius distributors who start getting the stuff out to stores and to markets. Um, I just want to say thank you to all of them for all the hard work they, that they do that is often unappreciated because like with COVID, it's ridiculous what kind of challenges the logistics teams are having about just finding drivers for trucks and forklifts and just getting stuff out of the boxes and out into distribution. So um, I know it's been hard and I know that the your average fan doesn't always understand what the supply chain does and why it's taking so long for their books to arrive. But uh, hats off to everybody involved in the, in the supply chain for, for doing what they've been doing the last couple of years. Thank you. Word. All right, everyone, take care and thanks for tuning in for another continuing conversation. Next week we wrap up. Yeah, we wrap up the Game Master's Guide talking about the amazing additional rules and tools of that guide. All right, we'll see you next week. All right. This has been Continuing Conversations, a production of Continuing Missions. Learn more at continuingmissionssta.com. Produced by Studio Tembo. Learn more at studiotembo.com. 